Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. This is our third week in this series, Um, and we opened the series with the importance the Bible places on loving God with all of ourselves. And we are commanded in Scripture to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, our soul, spirit, and strength. And we understand that God made man unique from the rest of creation in that he breathed life into Adam's nostrils. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 says, It was then that Adam became a living soul or a living being. And as Christians, we see this idea throughout both the Old and New Testament that we love and live for God with our whole selves. God is the creator of all that makes us both physical and spiritual beings. And it is by divine design and intent that we are souls that exist in bodies. But we are also spirit We are made in the image of God. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells us that God is a spirit, and we must worship him in spirit. And so in the first lesson, we considered together 10 questions concerning our spiritual health. In addition to that, we looked at the complexities of pre-meal prayer. If you remember that video, Brother John Christ blessed us with. So last week... Pastor Tom did an excellent job of presenting us with five things that the Bible speaks about concerning our physical health. Those things were eat, drink, exercise, sleep, and my favorite, rest. And I hope that through this series we're being reminded or maybe becoming more aware of the fact that God loves us deeply, that God cares about us completely. Jesus is not just concerned with your spiritual well-being, but when we study scripture, we see that God not only wants our devotion in every way, but he wants to make us whole and healthy in body, in mind, and spirit. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 is the first scripture we'll look at tonight. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And so tonight we will look at what it means to be emotionally healthy. Now, I am not a licensed counselor, nor will I pretend to be. But I feel like I've heard the Lord in a very specific way for this subject as it relates to this congregation And it's my prayer that you will hear what the Lord would say to you specifically through his word. But I want to begin by acknowledging the complexity of our emotions. While they should not be the source of our motives or our reactions, we have to admit they have great power and influence in our lives, in our state of well-being, hopefully well-being. And so if you know me at all, you've been expecting this. You knew that I would use a Disney reference at some point in my teaching being up here. So here it is. 
I couldn't get away from this. As I've been studying this um, idea of holistic health, of emotional health specifically, I could not help but recall the brilliant way that Pixar depicts emotions in their movie Inside Out. We have pictures. There they are. There are the five characters. They are the purple guy is fear. The red guy is anger. The one in the middle is joy. The blue person is clearly sadness. And then green is disgust. Now, I know it's not a new thing for Disney to create a movie the whole family can enjoy, and it jerks a tear or two, but the message of this movie, when I first saw it, I was really taken back by the depth of it and what it was actually saying. And so I, as I was looking into the movie and kind of their motivation behind it, how they tackled describing what happens in our minds and how our emotions affect the way that we make decisions, um, I found it interesting that it took Pixar six years to make this movie. You talk about complicated. You're making a movie about emotions. This is no small task. And the longest, most difficult part, according to the creators, was actually assigning uh, characters to these emotions. What would their personalities be like? What would they look like? But the story, Inside Out, is centered around an 11-year-old girl named Riley. And in the movie, it centers really around 24 hours of her life where her parents sell her childhood home and the family moves to San Francisco. And so the story is these emotions and their influence on her 11-year-old brain and how they are fighting for control to try to help her process all of this change. So we have one video to kind of demonstrate how Pixar portrays this. Is it good, Stephanie? Okay. Here we go. All right, open. Hmm, this looks new. Think it's safe? What is it? Uh, okay, caution. There is a dangerous smell, people. Hold on, what is that? This is disgust. She basically keeps Riley from being poisoned, physically and socially. That is not brightly colored or shaped like a dinosaur. Hold on, guys. It's broccoli! <laughs> well, I just saved our lives. Mm. Yeah. You're welcome. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fake. So that's how you want to play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure. We'll eat our dinner right after you eat this. Ah! Riley, Riley, here comes an airplane. Ah! Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. <gasps> Isn't that cute? Makes you wonder about all the things that are happening in your kids' brains. But So um, they were helping her process this really traumatic um, thing that's happened in her life. And um, each emotion is really motivated to take control because of their specific role in Riley's life. But in order for Riley to be happy, you find near the end of the movie... They have to let sadness, that blue character, take influence, take hold of her memories. Where the whole movie they've been trying to keep sadness away because they're trying to protect her from these feelings. And so the end of the movie is sadness and joy working together to help Riley cope and accept her 
new life. Now you're wondering, how is this spiritual, Kristen? Just give me a few minutes. We're going to get there. Jesus was an emotional being. Everything that is in Scripture is there for a reason. And everything that is not in Scripture, I believe, is not there for a reason. And so the Bible lets us know that Jesus' human experience included being angry, being joyful, being sad. It even included being tempted. Jesus was enraged by the money changers in John chapter 2. The Bible tells us. He reacted verbally. He reacted physically. I'm not implying that Jesus was out of bounds. Who am I to say that, first of all? But I think we can agree that Jesus was upset by what was going on in the temple. In John chapter 11, we see Jesus weeping, not crying, weeping is the word the writer chose, at the tomb of a friend that he knew he was getting to raise from the dead. Now, why would Jesus be so moved when he knows, you just wait, you just give me a minute, he's coming back. But Jesus was moved, obviously, with compassion for the family that was shattered and the family that was standing there disappointed that Lazarus had died. We know that Jesus attended feasts and celebrations. Jesus was also a part of those positive experiences that happen in life. And so as oneness Pentecostals, we believe that Jesus's humanity was real. It wasn't this masquerade. It wasn't this part that Jesus had to play so that he could go to the cross. And as we said in our first lesson, Jesus was not a superhuman. He didn't exempt himself from the total human experience. How do we know this? Because Hebrews 4.15 in the NIV tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And we do well as Christians to acknowledge the reality of our emotional health, whatever that state might be, because it is in direct relationship to our spiritual health. As I've been doing some study, some Christian leaders and writers make the case that spiritual health and emotional health are actually the same thing. Think about that. According to the book Emotional Healthy Church by Peter Scazzaro, emotional and spiritual health are inseparably linked and critical to a fully biblical discipleship. I have a quote from the book. Peter says, unless we integrate emotional maturity with a focus on loving well into our discipleship, we are in danger of missing God's point completely. Love. Emotional and spiritual health are inseparable. We cannot deny tonight that our emotional state has a direct impact on our walk with God. We cannot separate the influence of emotion in our lives as much as we would like to. I believe that it is crucial to our well-being and our ability to live for God fully, that we understand the importance of emotional health and its direct connection to our relationship with God. 
Throughout the Bible, we see men and women of God suffer trauma, pain, and loss. Now, we understand in theory that it rains on the just and the unjust. Yet often, we find ourselves in crisis or someone in close proximity to us is in crisis. And the reality of human suffering within the church is very hard to reconcile within the context of our faith. But I believe tonight that the church is called to be a source of spiritual and emotional healing. It doesn't always have to be outsourced. But healing is only possible through understanding and through maturity. Because the sick cannot take care of the sick. The church, specifically the Calvary Church, can only reach its full potential through this kind of growth and this kind of maturity. And this requires a lot of hard work. If we are not healthy, we cannot help others, those that God would add to our congregation, deal with their stuff that they bring into the church. Jesus makes all things new, but we know that that is a process. It doesn't all come together when people are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says his mercy is new every morning because we need it to be every day of our lives. And we cannot disciple other people from a place of brokenness and unresolved conflict. Paul told Galatia, the church in Galatia, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But I cannot help you bear your burden if I can barely carry my own. I was in a class with Dr. Cindy Miller and she made this statement and I don't say this lightly. It changed my life and my perspective on my faith. She said, in order to help people, You must work out for yourself your own theology of suffering. What does the Bible say about suffering? And what does it say about those in the household of faith suffering? We have to work that out. And one of the ways we do that is by working through our own difficulties. And so whatever our life experience is, we also dig it out in Scripture what we believe the role of pain is in people's lives. And that is very, very hard. This is completely opposite of our natural inclination. The truth is we are drawn to just about anything that will help us avoid things that are unpleasant to think about, things that hurt us, things that weigh our hearts down. Some of us eat. Some of us watch. Some of us scroll Some of us shop online. Some of us avoid people. We avoid certain environments that we feel like maybe we won't feel protected in that scenario, so we avoid it altogether. But tonight, I want to say that emotional health is made possible through our willingness to give God full access to every part of our lives. We have to make ourselves vulnerable in the presence of the Lord. Simply stated, I believe the call of God to us tonight would be deal with your stuff. 
Paul refers to not just laying aside sin, but laying aside every weight. Surely tonight, emotional baggage is included in that because Jesus cares. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Healing is not the absence of pain. It's not the absence of it. But it's the removal of pain's influence in your life. Because pain is debilitating. And healing is empowering. Of all the people mentioned in scripture, we know quite a bit about David's life. We know a lot of details about his life specifically. He was a man after God's heart. And yet, his life was riddled with weakness and suffering. We see David lose a child in 2 Samuel chapter 12, a child that was a result of his sin with Bathsheba. And the Bible lets us know that David physically agonized and pleaded with God for mercy on this baby's life. However, when we read the story of Tamar's rape, his daughter by his son Amnon, David is surprisingly silent. The Bible says that he was angry, and that's all the Bible says about David's reaction. And what we do know is that Absalom was so devastated by his father's silence, his father's avoidance of the situation, that David ended up losing three children through that situation. Absalom killed Amnon, Absalom dies, and the Bible says that Tamar lives the rest of her life in exile. And so I know this is heavy and uncomfortable, but healing is not an easy thing. And sometimes healing is painful. And the process of becoming healthier is not without difficulty, or everybody would do it. Everybody would sign up if it wasn't so hard. But I believe tonight that as members of God's church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, God wants to heal our frazzled, broken emotions because Jesus died so that we could be healed. And at TCC, we do not limit that to physical healing alone. We believe that God who made us body, soul, and spirit heals us body, soul, and spirit. And so with this in mind, I submit to you tonight four things that the Bible instructs us to do in order to be emotionally healthy. Here we go. Number one, because Jesus died for our healing, we grieve. We mourn the loss of loved ones. We grieve for lost relationships, for people and places that matter deeply to us but are no longer a part of our lives. And grief is not limited to just a death. Grief is a loss. It is any kind of separation, or could I put it this way, any kind of division in our lives can cause us grief. But the purpose of grief in the midst of loss of any kind, is undeniable according to science. Grief is the means by which our minds are able to adjust and accept a new reality. Grief is necessary 
for healing. And so to try to avoid it or to deny it or dismiss it is fruitless and it is harmful. In fact, science, and I believe the Bible tells us, it will prevent us from being made whole. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Our willingness to go through the grieving process is what enables us to be comforted by God. John 14, verse 18 says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. But in order to be comforted by God, we have to be honest with our feelings, and we have to mourn. We have to grieve. We have to experience these feelings. Number two, because Jesus died for our healing, we forgive. 70 times 7. Not just the seven times the disciples thought was good. Not even our three strikes and you're out. But forgiveness is a means of healing. And forgiveness is often a process. But I want to tell you some things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not denial. And it is not avoidance. Forgiveness is not tolerating wrong, harmful behavior either. But when we forgive someone, we do not just forgive what they did. To forgive someone is to release them completely from owing you anything else to make it right. And that, my friends, is a very, very difficult thing to do. Yet this is exactly what Jesus Christ expects of us because it is what he has done for all of us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Number three, because Jesus died for our healing, we make peace. I remember growing up, my dad would say to me, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. I was a compliant firstborn, and my sister was not. I'll let you guess which one. She loved to fight. She wasn't bothered at all to get in trouble, and I was devastated on her behalf that she was in trouble, and she would just laugh. And so I, my mantra growing up was anything for peace. Please make her happy so she will be good and she won't drive me crazy. And so this was a sermon that I was preached often. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. But it's so much easier to just keep the peace, isn't it? Don't go there. Well, we don't talk about that. Now, this is not to say that we come out with guns blazing, our sleeves rolled up, ready to brawl in the name of making peace. You know, this is not the Wild West. We do not need Wyatt Earp to make the peace in our homes to honor Scripture. A soft answer turns away wrath. But there's still an answer. It has to be soft. That's the hard part, is doing both. But this is a clear, consistent theme in Scripture. It requires discipline, 
the willingness to do it and to do it the right way, to do it God's way, and it requires restraint. As humans, we so naturally go to extremes. Well, I like to fight it out. Let's just have it all out right here. And then there's those of us like me who say, oh, just let it go. I don't want to cause any problems. It's already trouble. She's already getting the beat down. I won't say anything. But neither is acceptable because they're not in alignment with what the Bible tells us to do. We work at peace. We make an effort. We do our best to work things out. And at the very least, we should be willing to try. We seek to understand the other person. We seek to be understood by them. We need to be proactive instead of reactive. And sometimes that means we're willing to have the difficult conversations. Yes, I am learning this. Jesus said, you go talk to that person. And if that doesn't work, you take someone else with you. And you talk to them again. Are you kidding me? Matthew 18, verses 15 through 16. If you're not sure, it is there. I cannot deny it. Jesus is so specific to say, you get it right. You make every effort that you can. Because offense is not a spiritual position. A lot of people think that that is. They bottle it up as righteous indignation. And Tom is telling me to say it again, so I will say it again. Offense is not a spiritual position. And people who are offended, they have a gift. They carry a spirit of offense. They are not willing to do this. And so if you are not willing to go to the person and make it right, then it could be that something is wrong inside of your heart, that you are guilty and the other person might be guilty too. Because our objective as Christians should be reconciliation. Isn't that what the cross of Jesus Christ was all about? Number four, because Jesus died for our healing, We press on. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature... The KJV says, perfect, who are mature, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul says he forgets the past and he reaches for the future. It is so easy to do one and not the other. But Paul says you've got to do both. You can't just forget the past and press on. And you can't just reach for the future and press on. But according to Paul, you forget the past. You reach for the future. And that is how we are able to press toward the goal. What's the goal? The goal is eternity 
with Jesus. We have to deal with our stuff. We must be honest with God in our relationship with him concerning our feelings, or it will impact us in ways that we cannot control. And that is the irony of this, is when we seek to control, we we fear our emotions because they make us vulnerable, they make us feel out of control. But in reality, when we do not deal with them, we will become out of control. And, you know, I've realized as a mom, there are things that I am motivated to do for the sake of my children that I wouldn't be motivated to do just for my own sake. And I say that to say, if you need inspiration or motivation to deal with whatever it is that God is talking to you about right now, do it for your family. Do it for those closest to you. Because we unknowingly model poor choices in this part of our lives in front of our children. We don't mean to, but we do. I had a mentor of mine, someone that I have said, if there is anything I am doing wrong, I want you to tell me, no matter how bad it may hurt my feelings. And so one day she took me up on it, and she said, Kristen... You can teach your children unforgiveness and not mean to. And she knew that because the Lord had checked her over some unforgiveness in her heart towards one of her parents. And so I stand here tonight encouraging you, whatever you need to do, maybe you need to be more self-aware. I'm reading a book right now. It's the newest book from Kevin Lehman called When Your Kid is Hurting. And he talks about the, the natural compulsion that parents have to protect their children from reality? What do you say when there's another school shooting? Well, I don't let them know. And he argues that's not the best approach. You're teaching your children avoidance. You're teaching them that you're not equipping them to deal with reality. And so if maybe this is something you just feel like, I don't know how to do it. It wasn't modeled well for me. I would advise you maybe to pick up that book. It's a wonderful resource. It gives you great uh, ways to open up conversation with your kids. Our friends are counting on us. Those of us we have influence with, we maybe not even know that we have influence. But the people that we work with are watching us. They're observing us within the context of... I know they're Christians, so I wonder how they're going to react to this. I wonder what they're going to say about this. Because we need to lead them to the healer. And we can't lead them somewhere that we aren't willing to go ourselves. We have to be able to bear witness and testify to the fact that, you know what, God can do that for you because he's done it for me. Pain always serves a purpose, but its purpose will not be realized in us if we are not open to the Lord's process of healing in our lives. And I think it's fair to say tonight that God isn't into pain management. I don't mean to mess up your theology or upset you in any way, but I don't think the Holy Spirit is meant to be like a morphine drip in our lives that we just use when we feel like we need it. We just go to it when we're in pain or we can't handle or we can't deal. 
But the Holy Spirit wants to be this constant present in our lives to help us work through things decision by decision, day by day, situation by situation. I wish I could tell you tonight that all you need is to be filled with the Holy Ghost, have a good cry, speak in a language that only Jesus understands, and it'll all work out on its own. But I cannot support that biblically. I cannot say that that has been my experience trying to help people, and it certainly has not been my experience personally. I'm apostolic to my core. I believe in the power of Jesus' name to cast down any force of darkness in our lives. But I understand two things tonight. Number one, sometimes the darkness that lies within us, God understands why I can't get help. If I keep praying, it'll go away. You know what? God will not do for us what we do not do for ourselves. Free choice will is God's idea. He implemented it from the very beginning. And if we're going to hold on to our pride and to our doubt, God will honor that. He will not subvert it. He will not force you to do the right thing. He will not force you to submit to the power of his way and his word. The second thing I understand is that like any good parent, God will not deny us the benefit of the process. There are some things you allow your children to go through because you know this is the best way to learn. This is the best way to benefit. And like any good parent, there are some things your kids will not just receive from you. They have to live with the consequences and figure it out for themselves. We should come to the altar. We should pray about everything. We can have life-changing moments in his presence, but we have to walk away changed. We have to walk away trying to do something different. We must do something with that moment. Whatever the Lord put in your heart, whatever healing you received, should create a difference in us. This is part of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Fruit does not just randomly appear on a tree. It takes time and it takes effort to make good things grow like the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I want you to stand with me. I'm reminded of the story of when Martha came to Jesus complaining about her sister. I always had empathy for Martha for some reason in this situation. I believe it's Luke 10, 41, where she just goes off on sweet Mary for not helping. And I understand that that is frustrating. There's things to be done. But it's amazing to see what Jesus doesn't say. He never talks about what Mary is doing versus what Martha wants her to do. He says, Martha, Martha, you are concerned with many things. He was essentially saying, Martha, what you think is the problem is not the problem. You are the problem, Martha. You don't get it. And I think that we find that when we're emotional, when we're upset, And we feel like we can blame our feelings on other people. And we feel good about that. We hide behind the blame. And when we come to Jesus, 
He always talks to us about us. I've never had an experience with the Lord where he justified my anger towards other people. I've never had that. I'm not there yet. If that's possible, I'm not there yet. I believe it's Psalm 10 that David has been accused of something, and he says to the Lord, Lord, begin with me. Judge me. Deal with my heart. That's a pretty strong statement coming from a man who was a man after God's own heart. And so I say all that to say that Jesus wants to help you do the hard work of looking at your emotional health, your state of well-being, the way that you process life and the emotions that seem to influence you the most, the feelings you have that make you feel out of control, the Holy Spirit within you wants to help you, and it doesn't want to just make a difference in the altar on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night in Bible study, but I believe in the power of God outside of this room inside of us. And so we do well to take inventory of our hearts and say, God, you know. You know why I am the way I am. You know how my DNA plays into all of this. You see, you know what I've seen modeled. You know what has always been my normal, what I gravitate towards. You see what's happening inside of my brain. And yet God wants to help us. He wants us to grieve so we can be comforted. He wants us to forgive so that we can be forgiven. He wants to heal every part of who we are and where we hurt. But we have to give him permission to do that. And we have to be willing to obey what his word tells us to do. I want to lead you in prayer as we close. God, I thank you for the solemnness of this time in your word. God, it is not easy to look into your word. It is a mirror and it is a sword. And sometimes it is a painful experience to look at your word and realize that we are falling short of what you have asked us to do. Sometimes we look at your word, God, and we realize, you know what? I didn't even understand that this is what I'm doing. No wonder I'm hurting. No wonder I'm struggling. So, God, I just feel the nudge of your presence like you did in your conversation with Martha. Martha, the problem is not what you think it is. The problem is your unwillingness to deal with what is in your heart. And so, God, we want to be emotionally healthy Christians because we understand that it is in direct connection to our relationship with you or our lack of relationship with you. Let the Calvary Church continue to be a source of healing. Your word has said in the past that the Calvary Church is a hospital for the sick. And so I pray that you would continue to heal this congregation and to raise up leaders, to empower them, to be a blessing to those that you would add to the church, to walk along a healing path that is familiar to us because we allowed you to lead us on it. And in turn, you will give us the opportunity to lead other people. In Jesus' name I pray, heal our wounds, heal our hurts, our disappointments, our past. Nothing is off limits to you, God, because you love us 
completely. You died to make us completely healed. And we take you at your word. We pursue it in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.